Welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 166. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing the original series' second season episodes, The Gamesters of Triskelion, A Piece of the Action, and The Immunity Syndrome. Here we go. The Gamesters of Triskelion, Season 2, Episode 16, Production Code 046, Original Air Date, January 5th, 1968, Directed by Gene Nelson, Written by Margaret Arman, Music by Alexander Courage, Guest Cast Include Dick Crockett as Endorian Thrall, Victoria George as Ensign Jana Haynes, Mickey Morton as Klug, Angelique Pettyjohn as Shauna, Jane Ross as Tamoon, Joseph Ruskin as Master Thrall Galt, Steve Sandor as Lars, Roger Holloway as Lieutenant Limley, Frank Da Vinci as Lieutenant Brent, Bart LaRue as Provider, Eddie, Rask, Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie, William Blackburn as Lieutenant Hadley, Walker Edmonston as Provider, and Robert Johnson as the third Provider. The Enterprise is on a routine inspection of an unmanned station at Gamma 2. Captain Kirk, Lieutenant Uhura, and Ensign Chekhov attempt to transport, but disappear before the system is activated. After observing no signs of life from the station, Spock orders the crew to investigate a sector-wide search for their missing crew members. They do not find the officers, but Spock discovers a faint trail leading to a nearby star system and orders the ship to follow it despite protests from Dr. McCoy and Chief Engineer Scott. There, Captain. Now you are prepared for your training. How do you know our names? The providers were expecting you, Captain. They arranged your transportation. These providers of yours, are they... Correction, Captain. The providers are not ours. We are theirs. What do they want from us? You are to be trained, of course. What other use is there for thralls? Thralls. Steve, kick us off on the gamesters of Triskelion. Mm, all right. Well, um, I always start with saying how memorable the episodes are, but really, all <laughs> that's kind of stupid because all the original series ones are pretty <laughs> much going to fall in that category on the most part. Um, I think the memorable aspects of this are the uh, green-haired woman and uh, the uh, everyone writhing around in pain, and the cuts to commercial with uh, Kirk yelling people to stop hurting her and stuff that's what i recall but uh yeah it's it's fun um i don't even know i don't know what to say i mean to, for me i don't this doesn't this episode is memorable for a whole lot of various aspects of the like the lingo they use and the uh the whole gladiator, the fighting and some of the who's that guy stuff and all of that but it's mm-hmm. to me it's just kind of an average you know, a little bit silly episode at times, and um, and and of course the colored uh, gelatin brains in the <laughs> when like at the beginning, kind of in the beginning when Uhura each one each person um, who's it Chekhov, Kirk, and Uhura each one is in their own like cell, and then Uhura's trainer comes and goes in there, and all we see is like a silhouette, and we're told that she refuses selection, and I've never watched that scene and thought this before, but I mean, are they? I haven't watched this this episode in years, that's for certain. But are, are, are they saying she refused rape? <laughs> that's kind of what it feels like. Yeah, you know that that occurred to me this time too, and I I don't I never thought about that really either. In fact, one could interpret that she was raped in a, in a sense. You don't know exactly what's going on there, but yeah, I, I thought that was uh, I never really thought of it that way, and I, I thought it was quite dark. Yeah, that's interesting that both of us hadn't thought that before, but we thought it this time. 
<laughs> yeah, I'd, I mean, I'd put myself into that category. It's kind of thing. One thing I noted down, I'm like, you know, they went to, you know, it definitely feels like she's about to get raped. And then, you know, um, obviously they pro- they cut to break, right, with um, her screaming through the bars and his hands reached out. And, it, you know, I have to ima- imagine, you know, going to a commercial break and leaves you with that uh, uneasy feeling. You know, we only have to wait a couple seconds to come back and be like, oh, everything's okay. She just refused. But, yeah, it was pretty um, dramatic um, pause. Do you think viewers of the 1960s would have thought this? I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not many. <laughs> do you think it was the writer's intention? Yeah, I kind of do. Hmm. Kind of do, too. Because you have the silhouette, he's grabbing her, it's, she's, you know, yeah, it kind of definitely feels that way. Adam, what are, what are your, your first thoughts on Gamesters? Um, I like this episode. I'm probably, like Steve, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's an average episode. I, I do, when we get to it, I do think that I have something to say in this episode. Um, some of the memorable moments, moments for me, I mean, I liked Kurt trying to describe love to somebody who didn't know. That was an um, interesting scene. There's a little bit of, you know, the famous overacting that we see from Shatner every now and then. Is You see that in this episode, you know, when he's crying, stop hurting her, take me, you know. Um, <laughs> there's some, you know, the the fight scenes are a little goofy, you know, don't step outside the yellow line. So I would say it's um it's an average episode, but I, I think they, it, it has something to say. And so I guess maybe that makes it, maybe I like it a little bit more than Steve. But yeah, I wouldn't say it's great greatness. This is one of those episodes for me that it's, I imagine, like, they're making it the first time it airs, you know, and I, I bet it was great. I bet people loved it. On no planet did they think, well, I mean, people are going to be watching this a billion times in, over the next 50 <laughs> years, and they're going to watch it forever. So, to me, this is one of those episodes that was probably great at the time, and and does not hold up after, like, a million viewings, which, in all fairness, probably no episode of television is ever expected to be able to do that. Um, but so many episodes of, of of the original series are that I think that's what, if anything, and it's not fair, fine, but if anything, that's what holds back this episode for me. Maybe it doesn't have enough going for it to uh, keep my interest after all these years. There doesn't seem like there's a lot to it. So to all these things we're talking about, these are maybe kind of a little bit shallow things, but but they're they're interesting and cool, and you know the different lingo and stuff. All that stuff is enough to keep your interest. I just I'm not sure that it does after you see it a million times. I think part of the letdown for me in this episode, you know the you know we talked about the three brains and stuff like that, and it, not necessarily you know you just didn't get a lot about that, and it kind of you know ended kind of simply on a wager. Don't get me wrong, I mean you know the action with the fight scenes, it's entertaining. Yeah, that's a letdown. Yeah, it's entertaining to watch the fight scenes and the action, but at the same time, it's just a little bit. To me, it was a little bit let down. The um, the protectors were just kind of. Well, I I like that moment when they they beam him down there below the surface and just all these little you know jello brains. I I love that moment actually. I think that's that's very cool and very satisfying. But yeah, where it goes from there, it's 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 not satisfying. Right. Um. It's not what I I don't know. You 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 think you feel like the episodes. We're probably going to start going toward what it's about, but you you feel like it's saying something about these brains, brain guys that have misplaced uh, values or whatever, and then all we do is is give into that by just having another violent fight scene, you know. Mm-hmm. I did I did write in my notes. I'm not exactly sure what I meant because I think I watched this late at night, but I wrote, "Holy crap, crap." 
Kirk finally kisses and then punches a girl. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a little awkward if it was the other way around, I suppose. I guess. Yeah, that's and there's there's some cornball stuff, you know, like her looking up in the stars and toward the end too. That's just goofy, and 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 it's weird. The uh, would be kind of the vibe of the that part in the middle where they're running around and then he explains love, then the kiss, and you know. But before that, there's kind of this. Here's what freedom is. I it's just like boom, 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 boom. All these little. I don't know. It's. It's it's weird and silly, but but yeah, you know, in some ways the episode is kind of like they're trying to put so many elements of things together that mm-hmm. that it feels like cliche after cliche too. You know, you have the love interest thing, you've got the saving up, you know, people of a planet who are um, whose freedom is you know is threatened or they've never seen freedom. You've got a gamble, you know, by Kirk to, you know, trick him into something. You know, it's kind of all these things. It's like, oh, the usual things we're going to throw all in here. You know, it's, yeah. What is this episode about? Um, You know, you have the whole the slavery, slavery issue and freedom, you know, expanding your your life and your, your horizon. I think there's those themes in there um, as well sitting here talking about it and you mentioned it, I think it also questions morality, you know, these beings who are just in it for sport and gambling. So it kind of might question, you know, certain aspects of human morality and that is something that just kind of just popped into my head a a few minutes ago, but that's kind of what I got from it. Yeah. It's almost like they're trying to cover too many things in a way, because you have this idea of, um, you know, a suppressed people and what they're missing out. And maybe in some respects, they don't even know what they're missing out on because they've just grown up in the society or whatever. And then you also have the, um, the uh, essentially, it's almost like they're saying, here's what too much leisure and no purpose does to a society with the, with the, the protectors, the providers rather, and, uh, and where they go. And they, it's all so superficial. Their existence is so superficial. They just sit there and they're not doing any good. They're just, in fact, they're just using people to, on a, on a whim and gambling over it, you know? So all those things kind of thrown in there. Right. Maybe they try to do too much. I don't know. They're just kicking back watching too much TV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we haven't really mentioned the B story at all. Um, I, I like some of that. It it as it so maybe cuts back to it one too many times, but mm. I like the bit where Spot kind of leans in. He get he stands up and he walks yeah. over and leans in. Spot yeah. McCoy, I am in command unless you plan a mutiny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Kind of shocks him out of that whole conversation. Right. Yeah. I like that bit. Yeah. All right. So um, an above average episode, if not phenomenal episode. No. Something like that. Yeah. That's yeah, average. Yeah. Yeah. Holds up. I mean, we we've got enough for what it's about. It it it. It skates by. All right, let's do six degrees for Gamesters of Triskelion. Oh, golly. Adam, will you be going first or second? Um, I'll go first. Joseph Ruskin plays Galt, the slave master that walks kind of funny. Wow, that's like the only thing I could come up with. <laughs> that he walks funny. Do you notice that? He like does this little floaty thing when yeah, he moves. That's, mm-hmm. that's what they were trying mm-hmm. to go for. Just couldn't quite pull it off. No. In two episodes of DS9, he played a Klingon advisor to a Klingon woman that sort of maybe has a thing with Quark. Name the Klingon woman. Oh, I don't know the character's name. I know the episode. I just don't remember her name. Yeah, gosh. Um, it's it's not going to come to me. Yeah. I was trying to think of some kind of like 
barbecue joke or something, but her name is Grilka. <laughs> Grilka. Uh, Steve, mm-hmm. Gruskin also played a Sona officer. I know I've asked about this before, so I was careful. I'm asking a different kind of thing about instruction. Uh, Ruskin also played a Sona officer in Star Trek Insurrection. Uh, name the species and planet they were related to. I'm talking about the Sona. What, uh, the planet that's at the heart of Insurrection, the planet and the species are both named the same thing, and they are oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Sona are related to. Right. Yep. Gotcha. Um, okay. It's been a while since I've pondered that at all. Um, geez, Louise. Ba- uh, Baku? Very good. The nice. Baku. That's right. Yeah. You know, um, Ruskin, Galt, he he was in... I, the reason he's we've had so many Six Degrees questions with him over the years... Because he was in every series except for Next Gen, and even Next Gen, I mean, he was in the movie Insurrection. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's the only guy, the only other person you could that can even come close to that sort of claim would be uh, Majel Barrett, if you count, you know, her voice on, mm-hmm. on the series. Cool. So, Ruskin was in everything. All right, moving on. A Piece of the Action, Season 2, Episode 17, Production Code 049, Original Air Date, January 12th, 1968, Directed by James Comack, Story by David P. Harmon, Teleplay by David P. Harmon and Gene L. Kuhn, Music Composed by Alexander Courage, Guest Cast Include Anthony Caruso as Bella Oxmix, Vic Tabak as Jojo Cracko, Lee Delano as Kalo, Sheldon Collins as Tough Kid, Stephen Marlowe as Zabo, John Harmon as Teppo, Buddy Garion as Hood, Jay Jones as Mirt, Dwayne Thorne as First Girl, Brink Da Vinci as Lieutenant Brent, Sharon Hillier as Second Girl, Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie, William Blackburn as Lieutenant Hadley, and Roger Holloway as Lieutenant Limley. The Enterprise has been ordered to Sigma Iota 2, where the space vessel Horizon had been reported missing a hundred years earlier. The ship receives contact from Bella Amux, a Iodian who promises information about the Horizon and invites the crew to come to the planet. Spock notes their interference in the planet's development could endanger the Prime Directive. But Captain Kirk contends the Horizon's arrival a central century ago, predated the Directive, would have already contaminated the culture. Kirk, Spock, and Dr. McCoy transport to the planet. I was thinking, if there was just one, maybe somebody like you as the top boss... Then we can get things done. Hey, Bella. No, 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 no. The Federation can't get connected with a small-time operation like this. Now, I was thinking, uh, Bella, you would be the top boss. Adam, kick us off on Piece of the Action. Piece of the Action. Obviously, this is a memorable episode. We keep saying that. You know, you get the gangsters and the Tommy guns and the, you know, the weird dialect, you know, I guess it's supposed to be, you know, 1920s gangster style dialect. There is plenty of cheese in this episode. I would say, you know, it's very goofy at times. There's a lot of few laugh out loud moments, specifically Kurt trying to drive a car. Um, I don't know. It gets a little bit too goofy for me. Um, and I guess we'll get into this discussion. Is this, to me, I was had this in my notes, is this episode kind of questioning religion, or 
is that too far-fetched for a kind of goofy episode that we got going on here? Steve, some of your first thoughts for a piece of the action? I always remember this one as one of, uh, one of my dad's favorite episodes. I remember growing up... Um, and when I was really little and I wasn't into it yet, you know, it's and he was uh, watching it periodically in syndication, like in the 70s and so forth. And there's vague memories of that. But I do remember that this was always one of his uh, favorites. And, you know, I've seen it a number of times. And there is a whole lot of uh, iconic imagery here with them in the uh, the uh, zoot suits or whatever and the, uh, and the whole silly talk and getting captured over and over again a million times but i think it's I think it's a lot of fun you know if, if if there were too many episodes like this or trying to be funny i think it'd be problematic but um i always enjoyed this i think it's just a it's fun it's very memorable i mean i could it's one of these that not quite like trouble with tribbles or something but i you know i could almost recite it i think for some reason i think i've seen it enough times and it's just i just think it's it's a it's a fun episode, and that's an interesting notion, Adam, what you said of uh, about the religion thing, and I guess I'd thought of that before, but um, yeah, it's it's there's some interesting subtext there. Well, on the level, this idea of this entire society basing itself on that book, I mean, they, they do say something along the lines of, I forget, but there's some lines about the species on this planet are very... I don't know, susceptible to this sort of thing or something. Right, right. Something about that. I didn't find it in my research. I was kind of wondering if this, that that idea, I'm sure it was in some other literature or something, uh, either at the time or prior, but just, I just, I think that idea is kind of cool. We've certainly seen it since then. Mm-hmm. That's something I, I always really remember from this episode. Yeah, the, those images, gosh, you talk about the iconic images. Spock and Kirk in those suits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man. They look really good in those suits too. Yeah, I gotta yeah, say, yeah, yeah. they look fantastic. That I was thinking about it as I'm watching. I'm like, that might this might be the best they look in this entire series too. Mm, right. How lucky they, they are so to find people with exactly the same shape as them that they stole their suits. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. And oddly, those suits look better on them. They seem to fit them better than you know, right. Than yeah, the extras. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they look fantastic. I like the uh, I like the top where. Um, Kirk basically grabs Spock and McCoy as they come out of the turbo lift, like, you know, here we go, or whatever, like, leave with them and stuff. I, I don't know, I thought it was always fun, you know, like, he's got here, turn around, we're going, we're going someplace, or whatever, I don't know, it's fun. I think I remember the bits with the car, somehow. Yeah, That's, yeah. yeah. Uh, I definitely remember that from when I was young and seeing that episode, this episode. Well, like Kirk's line, he's like, I like this, I think I'm going to have to get me one. I like calling Spock, Spocko, somehow, that's funny. <laughs> Actually, you, know, you talk about another great visual, that visual of Kirk standing on the pool table, which I think is only a couple of shots, really, mm-hmm. but somehow that is is an incredible image to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm assuming they pulled some of this stuff from old gangster movies that I just, I don't remember. I watched, was it, is it Little Caesar, what's that other, that, I watched that one like a year or two ago. No, right? Met on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. James Cagney? No. No, not Cagney. Um, that's White Heat, right. which is also which also holds up pretty well. The Fizzbin bit makes yeah, me laugh. Yeah, I was going to say makes me laugh. <laughs> you know, uh, my it's brother Gusto when he delivers all that. Yeah, yeah, it's so r- ridiculous. And uh, my brother and I still do this thing where we, <laughs> whenever there's a whole lot of nonsense spewing out or whatever someone's saying, we'll both like go <laughs> what. You know, with the, like he goes whoop with the, the, <laughs> the with the th sound at the end of it. So we'll still do that, mocking that this episode. What the fizzbin? <laughs> What's your favorite scene in this one? This one might be fun to have that quick conversation. Hmm. You got a favorite bit you like? Well, it's entertaining there at the end. Um, 
seeing Kirk, you know, using their logic to kind of bring them all together into some sort of um, one organization. You know, him using all, you know, trying to use the lingo and, you know, talking to Scotty back and forth. Well, he and picks Scotty. it up pretty darn fast, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> he he <laughs> basically goes from one scene not doing it to the next scene speaking that way. Oh, they, he just went to the style, you know, kind of, you know, the the, fizz, the fizzman got him into it, you know. He's like, I'm just going to start making stuff up and it's going to sound right. It's interesting to see Spock try to do it a little bit. I said, probably the car stuff is, or, or basically where it starts with them in the suits and all of that stuff is the funnest part. I mean, although, you know, I enjoy a lot of it, but from that point on and then the whole let's break in there and using the little kid helping him out and stuff. I mean, I dig in all that, you know. Oh, yeah. What have you done? <laughs> and, and, and they play the they play the wild music, you know, when they start, like, beating up people. And, of course, it always amounts to Spock, you know, give him the pinch, pinch. and then Kirk's been in another 10 seconds just punching <laughs> someone, you know. <laughs> well, you've got to figure Spock's just being nice, right? Right, he, right. He, like, he I'll let you finish. finish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He could just finish him off with the bench much, much faster, but he doesn't want Kirk to feel, you know. So that's nice. He's, he's a good friend. Good friend. Protecting his ego. Mm-hmm. I like uh, my favorite bit for all those kind of jokes, though, is the, finally Spock kind of gets it and he starts trying to lingo a little bit and he says, like, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but my favorite bit isn't that. It's like Kirk's grimace. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, he's hopeless, you know. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> What's this episode about? Well, that's what I was trying to wonder about. You know, obviously they're on the society that's been following this, you know, book of gang- Chicago gangsters, you know, and it's kind of on a shrine in each of the bosses' desks, you know, in their offices. And, um, you know, and, and obviously, you know, you have Kurt questioning their morality at, at points and I don't know the only thing I, I kind of it's very loose and I don't know if they were trying to intend to do this or maybe they had to make it really goofy because this is a goofy episode it's fun and it's goofy did they have to do this so they could in the time frame in the 60s because you couldn't outright question religion and probably not get in trouble so I don't know maybe I just thought it was like a light-hearted way of just questioning kind of religion because there are image there's imagery of you know of the bible you know, I don't know. That's kind of just what I got, and that's why I mentioned it early on in the in the when we started talking about this. So, what did you guys think? Yeah, I, I definitely think there there's something there about the. I mean, in a, in a way, it's it's kind of a a subtle prime directive episode in a sense. You know, I mean, I don't know if they get into that too much, but the notion being that there are you know there are impressionable people out there. You know, so you have to be careful. And in a, in a way, it's kind of like if you're in a position of power or a position of influence. You know, you can you can um, you know alter the direction, the course of someone or a group of people's lives. You know, and so it's it's important to to be to be careful about that. So, yeah. We didn't talk about it earlier, but uh, this episode actually does have some Star Trek like universe stuff. You know, where it ta- when it, when they talk about uh, the Horizons contact was before the non-interference act oh yes yes Mm -hmm. right you know so that's getting in there a little bit too all right so an episode we all of course love and if you don't love this episode then there's something wrong with you uh let's do six degrees for a piece of the action steve has one steve you going first a second i'll go first john Harmon plays teppo one of the many bosses that kirk needs to engage with 
Harmon also played Rodent, a homeless man that meets Kirk and Spock in the soup kitchen in the city on the edge of forever. Rodent dies in the alley. How? Yeah, it's McCoy's phaser overloads. He, like, picks up the phaser and it, he jacks with it and it... There you go. Adam, Vic Tabak plays Krakow. Oh, sorry, this is probably not a fair question, but I'm asking it anyway because I remember him for this purpose. Uh, Vic Tabak plays Krakow, the second mob boss Kirk finds himself up against. Tabak was most famous for playing Mel, the cook, on what TV and film series? So it's, um... The name of the place was Mel's Diner. What was the name of the show... I'll give you a hint. The, the movie was Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. What was the TV show? <laughs> Alice? That's right. Uh, Steve has two. Adam has one. Moving on. The Immunity Syndrome, Season 2, Episode 18, Production Code 048. Original air date, January 19, 1968. Directed by Joseph Pepney, written by Robert Sabaroff, music composed by Saul Kaplan and Fred Steiner. Guest cast include John Winston as Lieutenant Kyle, Frank DaVinci as Lieutenant Brent, Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie, William Blackburn as Lieutenant Hadley, and Robert Johnson as Starfleet Voice. En route to Starbase 6 for rest and relaxation, the Enterprise's communication officer, Lieutenant Uhura, receives a garbled distress call, but all she can make out are sector coordinates and the name of the ship, the USS Intrepid, manned entirely by Vulcans. Suddenly, the signal is gone, and First Officer Spock, himself half Vulcan, shudders and feels uneasy. When asked what is wrong, he replies that the Intrepid has died. Starfleet sends a priority message to Kirk and orders him to investigate Sector 39J, where contact has been lost with the colonies in the Gamma 7A system, also the last known position of the Intrepid. That is an amoeba. Yes, I remember my basic biology doctor. Do you mean to tell me that that thing out there is a giant, single-celled animal? Yes, for lack of a better term. It's a very simple form of life. In fact, it's a much simpler form of life than what you're looking at now. But that thing out there apparently can perform all the functions that qualified as a living organism. It can reproduce, it can breathe, it can eat. Although I don't know what. Energy itself, perhaps, drained from us. This is a weird one. Even when I was younger, I mean, my whole life, I think I've found this episode kind of boring, actually. But yeah. it has, like, its moments, and there's some element of it that feels like Star Trek. You know? Mm-hmm. There's an element of this episode that I feel like every Star Trek series since has done. Maybe you know it's been more interesting on on the newer shows, but there's 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 some core story bit in here that about you know investigating the unknown and dealing with this stuff and the way the ship works uh, hierarchy wise. Um, there's some some st- tiny Star Trek through line in here that keeps me watching it every time, despite the fact that I've always thought it was boring. <laughs> mm-hmm. That I, I think it's boring every time I watch it. I think it's boring every time they say, uh, I don't know, that's an unknown. I'm like, yeah, that's cool, but I, you did that like four scenes in a row. Mm-hmm. I only needed one or two of those. Who feels strong, more, more strongly about this episode? Stronger. <laughs> yeah, mm. I, kinda, I could... Um, yeah, it, this episode drags at, at points for sure, I would agree. Um, I... I like the aspect. It feels very. This feels like a very sci- science fiction episode to me. Obviously, you know, you have a amoeba esque. I mean, basically, it's an amoeba life form that's come into our universe and is draining energy. It's it's very um, science fiction. You know, um, this is these are the same cells that live in us. I like the the concept. You know, and the 
you know, and them going through and explaining it. So it feels very science fiction to me, exploring a new life. Um, the things that I kind of found interesting about this episode watching in this time, just kind of the, there's a, there's a little bit of animosity between Spock and McCoy in this episode. Their friction, yeah. if you will. Um, you know, they have a couple scenes where it's just kind of like they it almost if you hadn't seen this episode before you would think these two don't like each other at all they seem more like rivals in this episode than they do colleagues or um friends so i found that interesting about this episode but i kind of agree with you brian it, it drags at points like i think they could have they probably could have done something a little bit more to make it interesting i, I don't know the new effects were kind of interesting i thought the ship in the dark, like yeah. with stars around it, like the only light on the ship were the ship's lights. That was that was cool looking. But Steve, what are some of your first thoughts here? Yeah, I think I'm pretty much agreeing with everything that's been said. Um, I think I think why it feels Star Trek or why you know we kind of get that vibe is there's just there are a lot of these elements where it's kind of high concept sci-fi you've got just the way the ship runs you do have spock mccoy banter which does have an odd tone at times because it seems a little bit more there's a little more animosity and nastiness than there usually is or something but that's there um but yeah, the the problems I think are that it's it, it just, there's just not enough here to go on. It's like a it's one of these bottle shows that feels very bottle. You know, what I mean, it's not one of these that doesn't like a lot of the bottle shows when they pull them off and it's a really good episode or something. But this one, this one's not that way. It just feels like it goes slow. It feels like they're trying to uh, make up time. Some of the some of the dialogue is odd. You know, when they're talking about. They just make grand statements like "we're all dying here," or "the life signs of the whole ship are going down." What does know? that mean? The life yeah. indicators indicate we're all dying. I don't, yeah. I don't know what that means. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't make a great deal of sense. Um, and and yeah, the whole thing is just stretched out so much when it's like all of a sudden we're going to jump into. McCoy and Spock buying for who gets to go, and then that just goes on and on and on. And then, my goodness, I mean, I felt like it was going to end. I was like, it's got to be about over, and it just had 10, 15 minutes left because it just didn't. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm being nasty about it, but it does just go really slow. Yeah, there know? was a point when I felt like. I'm feeling like we're pushing 50 minutes here. I wonder how close we are to the end. And I turn on the, we were only 20 minutes, like we're 30 <laughs> minutes away from the end. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. <laughs> wow. Yes. Yeah. I like Spock's line, Captain, the Intrepid would have done all these things as well, and yet they were destroyed. There's a, there's a cool idea there. Again, something I feel like we've seen in the other shows, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they don't really do much with, they don't do enough with that, maybe. I don't know. Right. I, don't know. Um, I thought they could have done more with, you know, I like the, the concept of, um, you know, Spock being able to um, sense the, the death of, of the Vulcans on the Intrepid. I thought they could have gone more there, and it seemed like they were, because, it, you know, there's a, it's a, I wouldn't call it that scene, you know, that first scene between Spock and McCoy and, and you, and you see Spock, you know, sent mentioned that, you know, um, humans are more affected by a single loss of life than they are, you know, mm. a multitude. That's, that's, that's a great scene. A it, it confused me. It confused me because it was, he, he see, and then, you know, you question Vulcan's hearts, but there seems to be a little room in human hearts. And that's like, damn. <laughs> Am I the only one that every, every time I see uh star Wars, a new hope and, Alderaan is destroyed, and then Obi-Wan is like, a million souls, whatever the line is, a million souls just cried out in the Force, or whatever that line is. Mm. I think of this episode in Spock. <laughs> right, right, right. Every time. Yeah. This was over a decade earlier, folks. You know, so I kind of felt they could have made this more into a Spock episode, and kind of him dealing mm. with this kind of grief, and, you know, maybe not grief, but this sudden influx of 
guess the closest thing you could call it to emotion for Vulcan. So I thought that was kind of, they kind of thought they could have used that more in this episode. Is this episode about anything? What's it about? <sighs> That's where I struggled. Um, survive. I mean, you know, there's some, you know, kind of like maybe stretching themes. You know, it's about survival, saving the universe from single cell organisms. I don't know. Yeah, I think it, it doesn't quite get anywhere with some of the things it could be about. You know, I mean, it, they, they could, yeah, they could talk about sacrificing for, you know, to say, you know, because really, if indeed this huge thing is going to start dividing and take over and just occupy the galaxy or whatever, you get a problem. But, you know, they kind of touch on that. They kind of touch on that it's probably a suicide mission, you know, for one of these guys. But for some reason, you don't really feel it. It doesn't feel like off to their deaths and that's the end of it and and then that all just stretches out too so it kind of waters it down so i don't know and it just just kind of goes all right let's do six degrees for the immunity syndrome uh steve has two adam has one uh steve were you going first or second i'll go first joseph pevney directs this his final episode of the original series yeah, the amoeba never came back for another guest starring role, mm. so this is just a generic trivia. Uh, Joseph Pevney directs this, his final episode of the original series. He was the second most prolific original series director. How many episodes did he direct? 10, 14, or 20? Mm. Gosh, um, 10. No, uh, I'm going to tell you the answer, uh, 14. Adam, only one person directed more original series episodes than Pevney. And that person directed 15. Name that director, who's the most prolific original series director. Um, I'm not sure. Steve? Oh. I'm sure I'll not want to hear it, but it's just not coming to me. <laughs> Mark Daniels. Okay. Mark Daniels. Cool. All right, folks, thank you for spending an hour with us. I hope to see you again in two weeks when we do the next three episodes of the original series. You can send us an email. That's trekcompanion at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash trekcompanion, and our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. So until next time, thanks again. Take it easy. Bye, guys. See you. I passed it.